You are listening to iFanboys Talksplode with Howard Chaikin. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and today, yes, I'm thrilled. I am thrilled uh, to welcome uh, writer, artist, comic book man to his bones, Howard Chaikin, uh, to this show, a career of 50-plus years making comics, and uh, and many thoughts about that. I could have kept talking to him for a real long time. I don't want to waste any more time right now. This is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy, and I am here with Howard Chaikin. Hi. Hi, how are you, Josh? Good to I'm, see you. I'm good. You. Yeah, you, you, know. can't, you can't see me because I didn't hook I can the little see, camera I can up. See the, I can see your, your face vibrating behind a circle. Oh, it's yeah. Kind of a, yeah, I know. saw that little weird photo where I'm squinting in the sun as my icon, and yeah. I'm like, eh, it's too late it, to change it. It, it. it looks like the last photo taken before you were arrested. You know, that was actually the first photo I took after I got a haircut after the pandemic. Wow. So I was very excited about that moment, and I probably sent it to my wife, and somehow it ended up here. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think you know I have been I've been reading your stuff uh, for a while, but I'm old. I'm not quite old enough to have read you know all through the '80s, um, and I'm almost fifty. So you have been making comic books for for a hell of a long time. I think I think the number would boil down to fifty-two years under my own name. And fifty four, making a living in some way from the business. So, yeah, yeah. were, so, were yeah. you drawn to comics, or did you end up in comics? You know, I think anyone who says they weren't inoculated with comics and then com- convinced that they were able to do them, mm-hmm. who does them, is a lying sack of shit. I think it is. It has more in common with the Jesuit tree than anything else. Um, I think. I mean, I was in, I was inoculated with comic books at the age of four. I've told the story a number of times, um, and. By the time I was five, I was able to read on a fourth grade level because I was able to parse out the meaning of, of language by, by dint of its relationship to, te- to visuals and text. Uh, I couldn't pronounce those words, mm-hmm. but I could read them, I could make them out. And so when I read Tarzan of the Apes at 13, I understood completely how he was able to teach himself to speak or read English mm-hmm. uh, from the children's books that had been left behind by his now dead parents. Um, I Comic books is... I'm a comic book man. I mean, I've been mm-hmm. a comic book man since I was four. And um, and I've been that guy. I mean, which then does not mean that I haven't gone through all the various reticulations and crenellations that <laughs> comic book fan goes through. I was, you know, obsessed with this, obsessed with that, you know, completely toxically obsessed with this, proprietarily obsessed with that. And, you know, I came out the loop and became, became something else. And um, which, which grants me, at least in my, my, in my limited purview and, and understanding of public morality, the opportunity to tell everybody to go fuck themselves <laughs> in, a, in a positive, fun way. Sure. That's, that's the best way to do it. So, yeah. did you, so when you sort of started just drawing as a little kid, you were probably already drawing with, with the comics in mind. It wasn't like, you know, like that must have been part of you right away, you know, if you're oh, starting for. Were no you, question. And were my, you? My, yeah. Ask away. I'm sorry. I was well. I mean, were you, uh, you know, were you immediately when you started drawing as a little kid? Did you did you start drawing as comics? Were you thinking in that language really early? Yes. Yeah. Unequivocally. Uh, I mean, I, I, I saw. I mean, 
like many of us, and I found this to be the case with many of us, um, I saw the world through through the the scrim and language of tropes of comics. Um, the, the the visual nature of my world was defined by comic books. Um, I was also remember I'm born in '50 and raised in New York City in Brooklyn, and that kid, for the most part, was obsessed with. If you if, if extent of comic books, mm-hmm. the two aspects of your life that were that were un, the universal experience were sports and cowboy pictures, uh, westerns, uh, because the television series that we were addicted to were all most of the programming of what is now the educational station in New York City, Channel Thirteen, was in the nineteen fifties literally Republican monogram uh, program westerns, sixty minutes long. And I was obsessed with Johnny MacBound, uh, Wild Bill Elliott, uh, Don Red Barry, uh, all these guys who were making what were called odors by the by the variety in those days. So I was drawing Superman and cowboys. That was the extent of my of my my interest in drawing. And um, and I wasn't very good. It wasn't as as if I was like this gifted child. Um, I've often said that what drove me forward was in, in desire and in co rage. And, uh, and I stand by that. I do. Um, because I didn't really start with any skill set or talent. All I had was want. And, um, and I'm, I'm a great believer in want, but you have to also step up to the plate and give. And it took me 10 years to give in my first 10 years of my career. So although I acknowledge the fact that I've been a working professional in my own name for 52 some odd years, it only, only 40 of those, I'll say 40 of those years are of any value. The first, the first was basically education in public, which continues to humiliate me and will do so to my grave. When, when was it the, the point where you saw this as, A, a job that existed, and, and B, something you wanted to do? Oh, I was four. I mean, I didn't really? say I mean, right? I, Yeah. I, I'm serious. I mean, I, I, mean, I mean, understand, I'm, I'm a fairly bright guy. Um, I'm not particularly well-educated, except in, in an academic sense, but I'm an autodidact. And um, I was, you know, my, when I was able to read at five, my parents, who were fucking morons, um, misperceived this as some sort of a genetic anomaly. And, but I was at five, at four, when I saw this material, I said, someone makes this. I didn't, it, it was not, at four, I was able to discern the fact that these were product, that someone had hmm. made this and that I wanted to be one of those people. And that was all I ever wanted. It, it was just, it was the, the, it was the, the, the alpha and omega of everything, of everything in my life to be one of these people who made these things. Um, I cannot convey the, 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 the scale, the magnitude of my love for this work at that time. It was, it was all encompassing. Uh, I had a miserable childhood. My parents were, were not happy people and they, and they made sure that we were as unhappy as they were. And comics were one of the sources of solace in my life, along with cowboy pictures and food. And I, I owe comics everything in that regard, in the, in the sense that it saved my life, it made my life, and it protected me from the kind of anxiety and hostility that existed in my house. Um, I mean, I, I came out scathed, but survivable. Whereas my siblings, to a certain extent, are still kind of broken, mm-hmm. and comics were the the means by which, which I was able to to get the fuck away from the the insanity of my childhood, and it was fucking nuts. 
I cannot convey that enough. It's um, one of those things where I'll ask you, who've been in comics for a really long time, you know, what it is that makes them stick around. And, and one, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, you know, a lot of comics professionals, obviously, as I do, is that there's a lot of people who can do a lot of other things and probably make much better living. But comics people tend to, comics people tend to keep doing comics because they love them. It's, it's a thing I, I love about comic book creators is that like, there's just something about this that speaks to them. And obviously you have a, a pretty, <laughs> pretty solid story of why um, they're still giving you, are they still giving you that? They still give you that, that sense of solace. Well, the making of them certainly does. Yeah. Um, um, I, I have no interest in comics as a form, as a content. I mean, mainstream comics are, are fucking moronic. Um, they're, they're, they, they depend on the, the affection of an audience who's, who's finally being satisfied by having their, their childhood fantasy satisfied in their, in their fifties and sixties. Um, but I certainly love the form. I truly do. I love the language. Um, I mean, I got home from a convention on Sunday, on Monday night, and yesterday was set up for the final issue of this, of this final arc of Hey Kids Comics. And I spent the day doing breakdowns. You know, I, I, I've I'd already thumbnailed the work, but on yesterday, I sat down and did what, what I call sticks and circles, indicating um, the basic layout inside these ink, ink panel borders. I work, I pencil into ink panel borders because I like the idea of parameter. Hmm. Um, the, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm the patron saint of structure in comics. So that would and, indicate uh, that you never break the panel borders or do I you sometimes, you do? I frequently do, but only only in, in in ways that don't have anything to do with the with the hyperbolic dynamics mm-hmm. that that enamored me so much of those broken panel borders in my early days. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I was a you know, I, I was I was an absolute de- acolyte, a devotee of the the Batman and Superman comic books that came out of uh, out of Jack Schiff and Mort Weisinger's studio house, and then then after that. I became more sophisticated and became a fan of Julie Schwartz's books, you know, with Gil Kane, Carmen Infantino, Joe Kubert, and Alex Toth. But when the Marvel stuff came along, I was completely hooked. I mean, Mar- Mar- I was, I was an absolute obsessive with Mar- with Marvel comics. I thought they were they were speaking directly to me. And oddly, by the time I became a working professional, because I didn't have the skill set to make that work, combined with the fact that I I begun to read other stuff, both in comic books and in 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 actual text. My my interest in making the kind of comic books that had enamored me in the first place absolutely vanished. Yeah, I was I, I was gonna say is that if I'm I'm looking at your body work pretty quickly, you know, you were doing stuff that wasn't mainstream work. You know, uh, you oh, you would have come up. Hmm? I couldn't. I wasn't right. very good. I I couldn't compete with guys like. Um, I mean, most of my generation, with very few exceptions, came into the business assuming that we would outlive superhero comic books. Because superhero comic books were. <laughs> were for kids and were drawn by people who were our parents' age. And we were we were gobsmacked by the by the by the revival of superhero comics with our with the next generation. The only guy in my generation, I mean Starlin's my age, but he came in later than me. But Buckler was there and Buckler had was 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 fully formed on his arrival. If Buckler had not been a criminal, he would have had had the a kind of career that was comparable to John Basama's. He was very, very good. Mm-hmm. You cannot convey how good he was at doing that work. Um but he was a he was a Ghanif, you know, just a, not, not, not an honest man. And um, that was that. Does that, that seems like that was, you know, if, if, if I read about comics from the Golden Age and the Silver Age, it seems like it was a lot more shady characters, I guess, or people from sort of all across the spectrum. It's a, it's a you know, very different than the 
corporate models well, I mean, now. Com- <laughs> comics owes, owes its origins to criminal enterprises. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, the guys the guys who who made DC Comics had had previously been you know publishing un- under the counter spicy pulps <laughs> or crossword puzzles, and you know they they stumbled and. You know, comics is the, the history of comics of the 1940s is Jews fucking over other Jews. That was basically the <laughs> yeah. bottom line. You know, um, you know, I some, some, there's a whole there's the meme going around right now. The, the guy, the, the guy that they just recently cast as Superman has, is Jewish of some sort, and I'm supposed to care about this. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, you know, why is this in, why is this relevant? I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan <laughs> of Jew faith, but but I also feel that you know. That some somebody who's obviously not there's no idea who I was 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 explaining to me in that you know if if, if there's a man's planning there's also a woman's planning a woman's planning to me about how com- you know, but comics is, is many of the creators of comics were Jewish I, was, I know I, I I knew that going in <laughs> thank you thank you very much you know but uh, I'm I'm one of the Jews the few Jews left standing you know there are a couple of Jewish writers but there aren't many Jewish artists and um, I have a direct ethnic link to those guys. And, um, you know, some of them were victims, some of them were gone-ups, and some of them were gone-up victims, you know, um, you know, it worked out well, you know. I so, mean, my, my, mentor, my first mentor was Gil Kane. He is guilty of everything he's ever been accused of. <laughs> well, how did that, how did you go from being kid, uh, reading comics, wants to get out of the house, to making a step towards, towards working on them? Where do you, where do you, where do you know where to start at that point? Well, samples, portfolio. I mean, also, you know, I was, by the time I was an adolescent and then an early teenager, I'd become part of a syndicate of comic book collectors. Um, you know, at a certain point, I began to identify the fact that I really like golden age comics. I, I found a trove of them, a, a bunch of shredded old comics in a, in a bucket. And I said, these, these are really interesting. It was a window into, into, into another kid's childhood. That was the way I first acknowledged it. <laughs> and, and I became part of a syndicate that included a couple of cats who had some connections with actual fandom because New York, New York didn't have much fandom. Fandom was a Midwestern franchise. Um, all the fanzines that were coming out back then came out of the Midwest, alter ego, rockets, blast comic together, comic collector, Batmania. Um, they were all out of the Midwest because uh, of those winters that just knocked the shit out of you. And, <laughs> you know, there you go. And people had access to high school mimeograph and rexograph machines. And, but I met these guys who connected me up uh, with fandom. Um, and, you know, I, it, it, it ultimately led to meeting professionals uh, who were connected to fandom because there were a couple of people of the first generation and that, mini, that, that small generation, that little generation, that the guys born between 39 and 41, uh, who were also fans. You know, Williamson was the archetype. Williamson was a guy who you know, who died a fan, which I, I found like, what the fuck? Um, but these guys all were enraptured with the work. And, um, and ultimately, I met these people. I started getting thrown out of editor's offices when I was 15. My work was terrible. It remained terrible until I, I really buckled down. And that, was, that came in my, late, my mid to late 20s. Even then, it wasn't very good. Um, but, you know, you, 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 in those days, in a, in a pre-internet... Um, pre-Federal Express time, everybody had everybody's phone number. And if something happened, there was a grapevine. People told everybody, this, this guy, this guy's doing this, this guy's doing that. And, um, and you met people at conventions. And, and there was no, you know, the, the kind of rock, rock star bullshit that happens in comic books today did not exist in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, my first, I didn't go to a convention until I was a working professional because when I saw it on television, it made me embarrassed. It was the same as, I felt about conventions the same way I felt about the Jerry Lewis telethons. You know, they, um, I always wanted to go, but it just seemed so fucking creepy, you know, because <laughs> in those days, the comic book conventions were all on the 4th of July weekend. And the, that one stand-up reporter got stuck working for the weekend would basically stand up in the middle of the convention floor with, the, you know, what was called the huckster's room and, and say what was basically subtextually, can you believe grown men read this shit? And that was the extent of it. And it just looked like uns an unsavory experience with unsavory characters. And I was by nature a coward. Uh, so I didn't really want to uh, participate in anything that looked that, that creepy. Um, my first show, you know, I mean, I went there and, you know, I, I, <laughs> Frank Rosetta was in one, another another one of the rooms, adjacent rooms to the hotel room I was in, um, having drinks with with various people. And he was watching porn loops on a 16 millimeter uh, bell and bell. You know, I mean, <laughs> that that was it, you know. Yeah, that's not going to fly today. Um, no, no, I, I think that's <laughs> most astute, young man. Most yeah. astute. Uh, <laughs> It's interesting because when I when I think of, you know, comics were selling huge numbers then compared to now, and there is this idea of, you know, the comic book nerd or whatever, but I, I tend to think that it must have been fairly mainstream to sort of comic books yes. among among young men everywhere to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. Was it Yeah, I mean basically I mean you went to the barbershop, you had a comic book in your back pocket. You know, I mean uh I mean I I was you know, because I was an early reader, I skipped a grade. And uh, so, and I never recovered from that. It was a terrible judgment judgment on, on the part of letting me skip a grade because I was I was immature as it is, and here I was immature and younger than my my classmates. Um, what I find fascinating every every now and then is running into people that I haven't seen in fifty years or sixty years, um, who remi who remember me being my friend, and I had no memory of that friendship. You know, I mean, I just don't. You've met a lot uh, of people. <laughs> I, but I was also I was also a a, a, a complete creep. And, um, and, and, and I had no social skills whatsoever until I discovered drugs. Um, and once I discovered drugs, I became this personality. I became this, this, I had oral alia. And, um, and I, you know, I went from being a, a thumbprint with glasses to a, you know, a hot ticket with a pregnant girlfriend, you know, and that was, uh, and that preceded comic books. So when I got into comic, I mean, I'm also one of the rare guys in my generation of comics who was born and raised in New York city. Mm -hmm. Most of the guys, most of the guys were, you know, were white trash from the south of the southwest, um, and here I was already there. So I had a, I had, I already had a, a constituency of of a life that I didn't have to build as a as a as a, an emigre, mm -hmm. and there I was. So was uh, you you were uh, working as assistant for Gil Kane? Was that the was that the first sort of pro that you spent time with, or? Yeah, you know, I met him when I was thirteen at a comic book store um, that. He was a shopper. He was a customer at, mm -hmm. uh, and I was completely, you know, this Olympian figure, this huge Olympian figure, um, wearing it, dre dressed like a Charles Saxon New Yorker cartoon from 1965. Um, and I, and a, some five years later, I discovered that his assistant had died in his sleep. Uh, a guy who could, was going to be a player of our generation named Tim Battersby, who died of an undiagnosed heart ailment at the age of 21 or 22 in his sleep. <laughs> And um, I called him up because he was in the phone book for fuck's sake. You know, I called him up. I said, I hear your guy died. Can you need somebody? And, you know, as callous as, as teenagers can be. And um, he hired me. And in retrospect, I mean, my work is, was utterly worthless. I mean, he made that very clear to me in the first day. I mean, I told him I, I, I described my samples as mediocre. He described them as utter shit. 
I'm convinced that he hired me because I was Jewish and that he could speak freely and openly about his feelings and, and, uh, and reactions to, to the business in which he, which he worked. And I'm quite serious. I'm not being ironic here at all. Um, my, my job for him was literally pasting up uh, uh, blocks of copy on the Black Mark book, the trade paperback that he was doing, the, the trade pa- the paperback rather that he was doing for Bantam and, um, and filling in blacks. He wouldn't even allow me to deliver work to the office because he felt that my physical appearance spoke badly of him. <laughs> I had hair down on my shoulders. I dressed like, you know, like, like the classic New York, you know, faux, a faux proletarian in that, you know, is it a proletarian? I guess it is. That's good. Um, um, you know, uh, you know, the work shirt, the, you know, bell bottom jeans, fry boots and hair down on my shoulders. And I, I looked unkempted, but, but unkempted to it was conventional at that time. And, um, I, so I, I basically sat there for a year and listened to him talk as he was a man who liked talking to a man who liked to listen. And um, <laughs> I learned a great deal. Um, there were a number of experiences that are, that are, that are memorable that have been recorded in the, in Hey Kids comics. Um, the, the avatar of Gil Kane in, in Hey Kids comics is pretty obvious. And the avatar of me in Hey Kids comics is equally obvious. Yeah. So, well, it's one of the things, and I, and I will get to it, um, because my my friend and I who do this show together, uh, we we talk about it frequently, and we're always like, wait, no, so this guy, okay, this, no, this is definitely Kirby, and this is, I think that might be, and it's uh, it's a lot to keep track of, but it kind of makes it fun, and if I have, you know, I have like this patchwork understanding of the comics business personality throughout time. Yes, that you you just you you demonstrate that I've achieved my intent. Yes, I, it's. I want to get to it, but I actually I want to talk about your career. I'm not going to let that go. Okay, but, but okay, 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 okay. Well, you're not you're not going to get me off my now. <laughs> um, so I'm good. You I, are. I'm here. I am your bitch for the next for the for the time which we spend together. That's go exactly on. how I like it to be. I knew you'd see it my way. You are you're 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 sitting there. Uh, Gil Kane is doing his work. He's he's talking to you about every horrible thing he can think of and, and insulting you. What is there anything from that? time that watching of the craft that you are still thinking about today as you put together comics and you make them every day oh yeah. no no i i i have i stand on the shoulders of, of, of five men giant five giants uh gil kane wallace wood gray morrow neil adams and joe orlando orlando the fifth because he was the one who taught me how to navigate the the corporate structure at dc comics despite the fact that carmine was defaulted to hate me because of my association with gil the two of them had hated each other from the time they met at, at the age of 14 um, and, but Gil, who, for whom I did the least amount of actual hands-on work is the guy from whom I learned, I learned the most because there was a, I watched him work. I saw the commitment and discipline that he brought to the table. I wasn't aware at the time, but I became aware over the years that he had a very similar arc of learning curve that I did. He started out truly shitty, a lot, nowhere nearly as shitty as I was. He was, he was dreadful, but, but I was unusable and and he, and he taught himself not to be. He developed skill sets. And his problem, which I came to understand many, many years later, was that he never learned how to translate his capacity for articulation, his capacity for essay writing, into actually writing comics. He kept seeking the answers to that issue and that problem in creative writing courses, which never served him in any real way. His writing as an essayist is, is not Perel. It's brilliant. It's extremely observant. Um, it's self-serving, but it's also very well made. And yet he can't write. He couldn't write comics worth a shit. And that's true of all of those guys. Gil, oh. Woody, 
Gray, Neil, I don't know about Joe, Joe never tried to write. But those guys can't write, they could, none of them could write worth a shit. Um, they were, I mean, Neil's like Batman writing. It's, it's like, inseparable. <laughs> like in the form of comics, meaning, so like they could write outside of it. Gil could write essays, do whatever, I, oh, but he could really, It's Gil, really interesting. Gil, Gil's essays, I mean, if you read Sparring with Gil Kane, um, his, that essay, that collection of interviews from Fantagraphics, He's clearly articulate and he has an intellectual understanding of the work, which which basically I have had to have as well because I have no gut instinct. I am not capable of guts. I'm, I'm completely cerebral. You know, I have no innate talent. What I have is a learned and evolved and, and, and absorbed skill set, uh, which comes from being a grind. I, I was never I was never a good student, but I'm a really good student to doing what I do professionally because it's something I wanted. You know, I didn't really care about high school, grammar school, or anything. I dropped out of college after four months because I was too high. But but this, once I finally realized that there was something to learn after 10 years of working, doing really shitty stuff in public, when I knuckled down and, and began to literally woodshed myself into the talent that I've ultimately become, that's when I began to develop a respect for the work and respect for myself. Because one of the great unifying factors of comic book artists is a... a, a a monolithic self-regard in tandem with utter and complete self-loathing. <laughs> the two things together. You know, it's a an egomaniac with no self-esteem, a piece of shit the world revolves around, you know. And it's a very common thing. I, I'm convinced. I've met a lot of those people in comics. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not it's a very common idea. Create a world. Um, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that that that, that people held, held Gil in such contempt for getting a nose job, I mean, before the nose job, he looked like an anti-Semitic movie poster. <laughs> And when he got the nose job, he became very fuckable. And I think one of the reasons that people objected to it was that they felt that he was unjustly attempting to rise above his station. That station stuff is very much an aspect of our parents' generation, which is which is really it's been lost, and gratefully so. My, my father's generation. You're talking about. I'm talking about your grandfather's generation. Uh, it was a very common idea um, that 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 you had a, you had a place in society and you stayed there. And that's just bullshit, as we both know. Yeah. So you didn't – you weren't interested in doing mainstream comics, superhero comics, things like that. Well, I was, but I just couldn't do them. I right. mean, I just wasn't well, able to do them. Either way, if you, if you have to you have to forge a path then in a world uh, you know, where, where that was the thing. And I'm curious, like, what did the landscape look like for doing sort of non-superhero comics? We're talking about around 1970? Mm-hmm. early 70s yeah, like I, mean, I i really can't say i mean i was really grateful for example that that atlas comics the uh the the rage machine that was atlas comics see atlas seaboard evolved and became because it gave me an opportunity for playing playing a place to work because i'd done work with denny o'neill you know and i'd done some work for with with uh steve gerber all of it in, in a kind of a vaguely sword and sorcery franchise mm-hmm. because <clears throat> You know, along with comics, the second transformative experience I had was reading Edgar Rice Burroughs the day before my bar mitzvah. And it was, I mean, as imprinted as I was by the, that box of comic books that I received at the age of four, um, reading A Fighting Man of Mars, number seven in the John Carter of Mars series, um, was like another soul on the road to Damascus moment. It's like, how the fuck is, what? Where, where has this been all my life? And of course, my all my life was 13. But that that informed me in every way. So my samples became a lot of sword and sorcery stuff. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, I mean, all of us were, you know, we were Conan, um, we were, you know, Conan fans, 
you know, we read Robert E. Howard. We read, we read all the Howard pastiches, all the Burroughs stuff, um, which, which of course led us to hard, hard science fiction and then ultimately to crime fiction. But, you know, it's, it's, so I did the, I did the, the Favre and Grey Mouser adaptations. I had no idea what I was doing. It was just, you know, it was like I was Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney putting on a show, having no fucking clue how to do it. And, and the same is true of the work. I, I, I've recently been, people have been showing me work I did for Marvel uh, back then. And it's just, it's execrable. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's printable. That's the best you can say about it. And it's just not very good. I had no idea what I was doing. You know, talking about breaking panel borders. Uh, there was, there was no pattern. There was no logic. There was no understanding of structure. But again, I was young and stupid and I hadn't really bothered to learn this shit. And I didn't learn it until I went away. Did you um, so, did you learn it from experience? Did you learn it from uh, um, not criticism, but like editorial comment? Did you you know your peers like how did you weren't going to school for this? You were doing it on the on the fly. So like where was that putting those lessons into form that you could use? Where did that come from? Well, I I left comics um, at the behest of the editor in chief of Marvel Comics after a, a screaming argument on a Good Friday. And I went off and made my living for about two years elsewhere. The paperback covers, did some magazine illustration, did some other stuff. And while I was away, it taught me to develop a, an, a, an understanding of craft and an actual respect for technique. And for some reason, which remains a complete mystery to me, um, concurrently and, and almost, almost, with, almost with simultaneity to the, the nascent collapse of the paperback market, uh, I was made an offer by First Comics that enabled me <clears throat> to seriously look at the possibility of getting out of the financial hole that I put myself in, myself in working for Byron Price, who was a, a Ghana and a shyster. Uh, no one got wealthy working for Byron Price except for Byron Price. And um, I was in a real hole commercially. And the, the money they were offering me to do this would get me out of that hole. And to this day, I have no idea what confidence informed them to do this. Um, and I know comic book fans hate hearing about this sort of stuff. They like they, they like the romance that that's that 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 stand that windbag created about a bunch of comic book <laughs> doing it for the love. But the reality is, it's my job, and um, and I'm grateful to have it. But it still has money attached to it. That that's where it's at. And so that was Flag, and um, and I created this Flag was just basically a massive pastiche of all the things I cared about, and. That was, and I have no idea. I spent having made been made the offer. I came to understand that I now had to do something of value to justify the offer. So I committed to study, just basically looking at all the shit that was important, finding things that that I could do, finding elements and technique that I could incorporate into what would be a new approach that was based on logic and understanding of the material. And a lot of that had to do with looking at magazine illustration, looking at comic art, looking at, at work by people whose, whose work I deeply respected. Mostly, oddly enough, Alex Toth, Wallace Wood, and John Severin. Those names may sound, I mean, one of those names may make sense. The others, what? Wait, wait, well, all, all three, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and ultimately, that, that is, and, I, and I, I opted for the craft tint effect because I needed something to set me, set me up as a breed apart. Um, and it didn't occur to me at the time that I was doing this book at a time when the audience had been so infantilized and inoculated that the only material they could identify as having value was stuff that was pushed through the, through the, the, the grinder of superhero books. 
And that if Flaggett had a mask, a cape, and with shit coming out of his eyes, it might have actually had a commercial imprint. Um, footprint, rather. But it didn't. Um, and I thought there was an audience out there for something more complicated, and I was wrong. The audience is an idiot, you'll excuse me. Um, the audience, the capacity for ambition in the, in the audience, and, for, and, and in many of the talent pool, comes to an abrupt halt once you, get, once you reach the confines of capes, masks, super, as I've called them, super mutant dragon monster space adventure stories. And that's really where it's at. Do you think that that has remained consistent? I, we go through lots of different phases where, oh, you know, the image boom or, you know, Vertigo is making comics, but sort of the, the mother of it all still tends to be those mainstream superhero comics. Do you, do you think it's any different now than it had been in the 80s? I think it's worse. Yeah. Um, no, I think, yeah, I think, I think, as I said, I think you've got grown men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who are finally having their adolescent dreams satisfied and wondering why the satisfaction isn't as satisfying as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if I, if I hear one more fucking grown man going on about how his mind was blown by this, this, this or that <laughs> super piece of shit, um, I, will, I, will, I will do what Mao suggested and reach for my gun. Um, it'll be a squirt gun, but it'll be a gun nonetheless. Um, the one I use on my dogs. Uh, I... I, I just, I, I'm look. We're, we're dealing with a with, with a a form which used to be a, be, be a medium and is now a genre that boils down to a, something bearing the template, and the the the, armis, the armature, the structure of a Chuck Jones Roadrunner cartoon. It's endless, endless chase, endless pursuit, with only the implication of closure, mm-hmm. in which character development, character change is defined by whether Spider-Man is wearing a red and blue outfit or a black one, or whether Batman has a circle, a yellow circle around his emblem. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's Batman that we're talking about, a you know, about a rich, about a, it's a 15 year old boy's idea of what a rich guy would have done had he had a bad day when he was eight. Um, you know, that's, it just, it just, I mean, I can't, I can put my, my thought processes aside and do this as a job of work. And because I'm a working professional, I bring my A game to every time I, I'm, I'm, I'm incorporated into, into that universe, but it's not work that I have a profound respect for. You know, the, the craft involved making it is fine. That's fine. But, but the, the problem is you're dealing with an audience that is not interested in the craft. They're interested in the content, not the form. And they, they, they just, they, it just loves that super monster space, science, future monster, mm-hmm. mutant um, sh- shit coming out of their eyes. Bullshit. <laughs> Um, so when you you're you're putting together American Flag, have had mm-hmm. you done like long form original storytelling? I mean, I think it's like the first twelve issues you sort of put together. Uh, you know, was that were, were you was that new for you? Oh yeah, it was it was yeah. work that I was I would I please I I I had no idea it ruined my life. I mean, it ruined my health. <laughs> It, it began. It began the breakdown of a marriage. It was just, um, just absolutely a nonsense. Was there? And and when you're, it's interesting because you're saying prior to that, there wasn't much consideration for the form, and I'm I'm wondering when you are starting to draw and 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 plan out American flag. Like, are, are there specific things in the form that you said I'm going to do this? I saw this in this book, and it clicks. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to use this in my craft now. Well, I felt that you know up to that point. I mean, whenever I saw, you know, mainstream comics at that point, we're talking 1982. Uh, for the most part, uh, 
mainstream comic books were succeeding by feeding back to the audience a a kind of a nostalgia is good nostalgia thought about Batman, Superman, and all this other stuff. Uh, and the Marvel stuff was really hot and everything else. And it was just, you know, very conventional approach to structural narrative. And and I was looking at the work of any of people as 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 widespread as fashion illustration, uh, Richard Saul Werman's cartography, uh, his access books, and trying to figure out a way to, I didn't, I couldn't identify it literally as, you know, in, intellectually at the time, but what was planted was the idea of what has evolved into my understanding that comic book artists are graphic designers in the service of narrative. And that I wanted to apply all of the, va- the various elements of graphic design as I understood it to the concept of narrative. And that what it ultimately began to inform me with the idea that writing in comics was not what people thought writing in comics was. That writing in comics is a synergy between the artist and the writer. And that the writer frequently de- delivers barely more than a template, in some cases even less than that. Mm-hmm. And that the, the narrative, the, the, the telling of the story is left in the hands of the artist. And since you're dealing now with several generations after mine, many of whom do not read. And if they do read, they read YA fiction. Um, they certainly don't read critically. And their their curiosity about material of, of any more complexity than that is non-existent. So when I write a script, I write a, the same script that I write for, for, if I'm writing for another artist or writing for myself, it's the same. Um, because I believe that the writer's responsibility is to create a a visual environment, creating pictures and pages of narrative value. And that's, and that's a very subjective idea, I understand, but I know it when I see it, like pornography in the Supreme Court. Um, the... The reality is many writers write with no understanding of the unifying nature of the page. And that's one of the things that emerged from, from working on, on, on American Flag and then Times Squared and The Shadow and Black Kiss, which was that the page itself represents a union of space, which in turn represents time. And that there is a language, there is a vocabulary, there is a syntax. And that respecting that and getting past the idea of, well, anecdotally, if a writer asks an artist what they feel like drawing, I know I'm dealing with someone who's not serious. Hmm. That's not that's not a serious question. That's the sort of question that a hack asks. Because if that if that if, if that if that if that's if that's what he's he's going to deliver, he's there to deliver yard goods. He's not interested in the material. He's doing it as a goof, you know. And I, I have no interest in that shit. That's just nonsense. So did you at at that point when you're you're doing flag were you scripting out from that point or is it sort of the start of you yeah. doing it you had a full on oh, no, I, I mean I I learned how to do what I do now doing that book mm-hmm. um, you know I couldn't type I was writing longhand you know I I mean I was I was like a knuckle dragging bottom feeder learning how to do this job but I did learn so prior to that you know you were you were you were doing work you've been drawing comics for you know twelve years give or take. Mm-hmm. Were you not giving thought to the form of it? Were you were you winging it basically, or yeah, basically. really? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. So what does that mean? Like you get a script and you you have a page in front of you. Like where do you start? Are you are you thinking not thinking of the storytelling panel? I mean, you must have picked up something. I'm just curious what it looked like. No, not really. I mean, I, it was just I I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I mean, I I cannot convey to you enough 
how utterly dim-witted I was until I learned not to be dim-witted. Was, were the and, people and, that you had like worked no with? One, okay. No one noticed because they were looking at the content as opposed to the form. Okay. Okay, I get that. But you'd, I mean, you'd spend time with masters. Did they not have yeah, a, like a vocabulary? I wasn't smart enough to learn from them yet. Huh. Huh. It's good you did, though. So I guess it doesn't, you know, like that, that's not time in the wilderness completely. Like retrospectively, you must have been like, oh, all these things make sense now. Yeah, but, I, but bear in mind also, I mean, I was also really interested in using a lot of drugs and chasing a lot of women. I was extremely active in, in the social scene. <laughs> Comics were not, were not the primary thing in my life. I was, I was, you know, I was a heavy drinker. I drank a great deal. Um, I smoked enormous amounts of marijuana. I, I drank constantly. Uh, I didn't draw a sober breath until I was 41. And, and I was very social. I lived, you know, I, my, my commitment to comics as a profession was only a tertiary idea. My primary idea was drugs and women. And, um, and I was married. I was, I was divorced. I was, you know, serially monogamous, monogamous rather and just mostly I was having a good time. My seventies, you have to understand, I was in my twenties in the seventies in New York city, which was pretty, a great deal of fun. <laughs> that's, that's what I understand. I, I believe I I'm a product I, of that. I had a really, I can dig it. I had a really good time, man. You know, I mean, it was, <clears throat> New York was, it was, it was a fucking hell hole, but it was a very entertaining hell hole, you know, and I was easily entertained, you know, so, you know, whatever monies I derived went right to partying out, you know. So what changes where you, you do take the form seriously? And I, and I don't mean like your career or, or the, you know, but like the form of the comic book, the, the storytelling visually, all that. Is it the process of flag? Is it a, a longer, yes. longer term thing? No, no, it, it, it starts with flag and then evolves into Times squared. I mean, uh, a lot of it is that I was, I was gobsmacked by the idea of these people thinking that I was capable of, of justifying this expense. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? Who, are the, what, what do these people think I can do? And I had no idea. I mean, I had absolutely no clue that I was capable of justifying their confidence. And that, that cannot be conveyed enough um, because I look back at my own career and I had no, no reason to presume that I had anything of value. So I had to basically develop something of value. Do you think they saw um, anything in your work previously? Obviously, they right. gave me a shitload of money for fuck's sake. So it was you know, there, I mean, you, but you didn't know yeah, what it was. I, I didn't see it. I had no, I had no understanding mm -hmm. of its, of its actual value. And I had, and I had to basically become that person of value. And I did. Um, I suspect out of fear of being identified as an imposter, mm -hmm. which so, is frankly not such a bad thing, you know. You know, it's, it's one way to do it. It's you know, not unusual. So Pardon me. It's not unusual that that imposter thing no, at all. Uh, so through the eighties, I mean, you know, there's the touch point of of nineteen eighty six. There's there's an indie comics movement that you were part of. Did it feel like things were changing? Did it feel like uh, maybe we would get away from superheroes being the one and only, uh, that there would be other no. opportunities. No, no, it was clear. It was clear that one way or the other, everything was going to come home to roost that any, anything extant. I mean, they would, you know, it was kind of like, you know, with the comics code authority infantilized the audience and the material simultaneously, it drove away anyone who had any interest in anything vaguely transgressive in comics and they and those people came back in the early 60s with the advent of the, of the underground comic movement and but they were all influ the, the, to a man every one of them identified harvey kurtzman as the why but it was always kurtzman the humorist as opposed to kurtzman the the dramatic narrative n narrator in, in war material 
And I mean, as a kid, I remember he's either Bill Spicer or Richard Kyle said that if comics ever achieve an adult audience, it will be through humor. And I, of course, was resented this immensely because I because I, re I regard humor as an adolescent impulse and that drama was valuable. Of course, as an adult, I, I understand that, you know, the one of the linchpins of my work is thrills, chills and laughs like it used to say on Plastic Man comics. Um, you know, my, my stuff is always filled with with humor because I believe it, it's what gives it a, a, a human touch. Yeah. But it was clear to me in the mid mid 1980s that that I was working in a in a vacuum and that the audience was beyond resistant to anything other than that, that didn't confirm its, its 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 preconceived notions. Very much like that, what happened with the, with the Comics Code Authority in 54 and 55. Uh, by, by 1986, it was clear that, I mean, I mean, Frank Miller made the right choice of, of you know, of giving up creating his own material and going right to Batman, um, which I understood completely despite my utter contempt for the material. Um, you know, because basically he recognized the fact that the audience, whether he did it intellectually or, or, or instinctually, that the audience was available to have its taste pandered to. The mm -hmm. audience was was willing to be be convinced that 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 its love of this material was justified by its excellence, mm -hmm. and and that that is you know the follow, the path that most of my colleagues took. They identified a superhero character they really liked or felt they could improve, and went ran with it, and you know built and built fan bases on the basis of this stuff. And I, at that point, had the skill set to do so, but the idea of doing that would have made my fucking head explode. You know, it really would have. I just have no interest in whatsoever, which is one of the, it's why I moved to California in the first place. I moved out West because I recognized that I had no prospects in comics and there was a potentiality of my, my getting old. And I didn't know I'd get old, but I did. And it's why I moved to California in the first place because I had some fame attached to flag and it got me an agent and it got me a couple of uh, screenwriting assignments, none of which panned out, but it also led me into television, which saved my life. Because I could never have had the I, I would never have had the life that I have today had I not spent 15 years working in utterly unwatchable television crap, <laughs> for which for which I remain profoundly grateful. Sure, understand. but I don't. But I don't. But but my my gratitude, just like my I mean, comic books are are inoculated with the idea that if you love something, it must be the best, and people don't understand the difference between favorite and best. And the assumption is that if something you like something, it must be you've 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 provided with an imprimatur of quality. And man, no. I mean, I'm grateful for the work that I got to do, but it was shit. It was just unwatchable junk. But but it saved my life. Yeah. But you always you never let you know you never let comics go. I mean, you're you're back. You're still doing them. Yeah. Well, I when I I got shit canned for my last TV job uh, in June of 2002, and um, I realized at that point it, when, when the way the way the television marketing system works is jobs become available in May and June and then become available again in November when the people who they hired in May and June don't, don't pan out and they, they fire their asses and hire them again. But, but, and I was fired in June and by the 4th of July weekend, I realized I never wanted to deal with these people again. I would, I was, I, I was hoping they would all die and taste their own blood. And, um, so I flew to New York and sold DC a comic book and, uh, and I've been back ever since. And, and, and I, I never regained whatever momentum I might have had back had, had I not spent those years in television because the audience was new. And most of the audience had no idea who I was. And, and I was doing shit that was strange. You know, I hadn't, there was a whole new, new group of readers who were coming with image, the extreme comics, you know. And, and these people had absolutely no interest in what I was able to do. And I had no interest in their tastes. And, um, you know, ironically, so many of those guys then became alternative alt comics mm -hmm. artists 
you know, you know, going off to to do, you know, like Noah Van Skyver is a perfect example. Um, these odd, strange things, which are the equivalent of the underground guys being driven away from mainstream stuff. Um, but what I find fascinating now is that, you know, when I when I run into those guys who all started that as, as Marvel zombies or image image creeps, um, they hold me in complete contempt because they regard me as someone who's still, you know, drawing super monsters, space, science, mutant shit coming out of their ice comics. And um, it demonstrates a level of contemporary investigation that is deep and profound. So there wasn't like the feeling when you when you came back to making comics again that you had created this sort of seminal piece of a, of a time period with American flag? Not at all. I mean, no, I mean, the, the only people that, that were influenced that, that, that responded to comic to flag in any way positively were the guys who became the talent pool of the 90s and early aughts. Yeah. The audience never the audience never read the book. Um, I sold one copy to every 10 to 20 of, of Watchmen or, or, or Dark Knight because Watchmen and Dark Knight, as transgressive as those books might have been. We're still dressed up in the very familiar tropes of super monster mutant, you know, shit coming out of their eyes, capes and masks. Um, and, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, let's face it, you know, and Watchmen was a was as archetypal an Alan Moore project as you could possibly find a great job, of, you know, phenomenally interesting wordsmithing and then an ending which made no sense whatsoever because he had to re- reach outside to find it. And Dark Knight, in retrospect, is, is an incoherent, ideologically incoherent. Uh, it's the equivalent of, of an Obama voter who votes for Trump. Um, you know, it, it's, it's all over the place and, uh, it's very clever in so many ways. It's got some really interesting ideas, but overall it, it, it takes seriously material that is, that is functionally junk. Um, and you know, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I, I love Phil Spector and I love those, those, those teenage ballads of Phil Spector, but they are what they are, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they're not, they're not transcendent, uh, except for River Deep Mountain High. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to make exceptions every so often, and comics are like that. You know, uh, they're 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 miniature junk masterpieces, but they remain junk. <laughs> so, how do you square that with your work? I'm just a working, you know, I'm a working stiff. You know, I I try to do interesting shit. I try to do material that that, that entertains me, and I and I I've spent my entire career overestimating it. My entire career, my my career since I came back with Flag, overestimating the audience. You know, assuming that the audience was interested in something other than Super Thunder, Monster, you know, I shit come out. You know, they're not. They're really not. You know, when I when I was I'm, I'm on Facebook a lot because it's for old people who scream at each other. And um, what, when when WandaVision came up, I was listening to all these people whose minds were being blown by this thing. And um, my editor, who is a, a very smart guy, works outside of the comic book business in real life. Insist that I watch the entire series because you then have to tell, tell me a joke at the end of it. I watched the entire series. I have no recollection of it whatsoever, nor do I remember the joke. Um, I don't. And, and when I when I watched the first episode of, uh, of Falcon, not Falcon and Snowman, Falcon Winter. and Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, there's a point in the thing where the Falcon Falcon is turned down for a, a loan by a bank. And that's when I realized I was in the realm of morons because No. <laughs> You know, that bank would have given him money interest free for the rest of his life just to be able to say they did. It demonstrated a a patronizing to the audience and a pandering to the audience and a complete misrepresentation of how the world actually works. Much like that eight year old guy who had a bad day when he was you know, that, that, that superhero had a bad day when he was eight. Um, the hero's wound, just the, the various tropes of this material just makes makes my makes snot dro- drool out of my ears. I don't care about it. I like genre material. I like, you know, I like crime fiction. I like historical stuff, but I just, the deus ex machina nature of superhero comic books bores the living fuck out of me. 
I'm sorry. So with your work, and you come back to, was American Century that the first project? At Vertigo? No. no. Okay. A Mighty Love. Okay, right. Okay. I kind of remember that. Uh, I was much kinda. younger. No. Kinda, you say. Kinda. Hey. hey. Dare you. 20-something years ago, I read a lot of comics. <laughs> but I did say, I know this name, and I think I should read this. And I've done that since. So when you come back to comics, you haven't done them for a while. What kind of project do you thinking you want to do, and do you feel like you achieve that? Well, um, I mean, Mighty Love lay there like a dog. It, ne- it, ne- it never gained any traction. Um, and, and that's been true of everything I've done since then. My stuff doesn't sell. You know, I don't have a uh, any kind of any audience other than you know some some loyal acolytes who like my stuff. And are, I mean, I sell fewer copies of, of Hey Kids Comics than I have Facebook friends. That should give you some idea. <laughs> um, you know, I'm 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 writing and drawing stuff that the audience doesn't care about. The audience wants basically the same old shit gussied up in a in a, in a different a different outfit. And that's uh, I, there's lots of guys who can do that. I'm not that guy. I'm uh, you know. I'm how would you describe what it is you do want to do? And do you think that your projects have achieved that from a, uh, um, from a content standpoint? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah? I do. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I have, I have nothing to be able to apologize for or ashamed, be ashamed of, mm-hmm. um, you know, from, from, from flag on, you know, um, you know, flag Times squared, black kiss, uh, the black hook material, the shadow, uh, to, to, to mighty love, um, you know, just to, you know, the Mark Mann stuff, Midnight of the Soul, the, the sequels to Black Kiss, the Vited States of Hysteria, which created so much complete hysteria from people who had, hadn't bothered to read the book, uh, was my first experience with identitarianism. I, I remember this. Up to and including, um, you know, the, the material I'm working on right now. I'm, I'm working on the, the third and final volume of Hey Kids Comics, which is a fictional history of the comic book business, which, uh, which deflates the idea of a bunch of comic book loving guys, which I am not a member of, you know. So um, what... What drove you to do that story? Like, do like uh, to do, do to do Hey Kids comics. Like, what made you think I want to tell this story of all these apocryphal stories of this collection of of characters? This you know, it's not it's not necessarily a straightforward narrative. It's it's you know all those stories coming together, um, and there's only going to be a handful of people who would have been able to be there for it or to meet any of the of these people and really understand it outside of you know I read it you know, later in a bunch of books and sort of put things together and try to remember it. But I mean, was this like stuff on your mind for a long time? And you thought, you know, look, what you're describing is what, what the equivalent of a hand job. And I'm not here giving a hand job. I mean, the reality is I don't care whether there are people around to see these people. I recognize the fact that the market, the, the medium in which I function and work is it has a history and it's a history worth telling. And as yeah. I said earlier, one of the reasons I was hired by Gil Kane was because I was Jewish and I could listen to him speak with, you know, without, without judgment. And one of the things that happened as a result of, of meeting, of working for Gil and meeting Gil, was meeting a lot of other people and hearing narrative, hearing stories. Um, one of my oldest friends is a guy who goes back to first fandom, who has the same sort of relationship. He's the guy who did all these, all those video, those talking head interviews of all the Golden Age guys. Mm-hmm. And you know, and and as I've said more than once about Hey Kids, a lot of it didn't happen, but it's still all true. And that's because the, the 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 marketplace, the medium, has been around long enough that there are legendary figures. There are bigger than life figures. There are also smaller than life figures, and the 
the work is not the man. The work is not the woman. The work is not the people. The work is the work. The people are more interesting in many cases than the work. Um, you know, and and I I'm fascinated by the way by, by the the grist of the mill. You know, the I, I I will tell you right now that I wake up every morning assuming that I'm going to read on deadline that someone's doing this as a TV series, having knocked me off. Um, <laughs> Because the material is ripe for this sort of stuff. But what ultimately is going to happen, what, what ultimately will be, will be a hagiography about Stanley and his relationship to comics. Because most people think and don't care about the fact that, that at, at heart, Stan was basically, Stan is, is responsible for why there are comics. But mm -hmm. the comics that, he, that he's responsible for were made by other people. And he was, unco he, he was un, ungrateful enough to those people to want to not be identified simply as the man who made the material, uh, to, to produce the material, you want to be the guy who directed it and starred in it too. And and that's just, that's shitty. It really is, you know? Um, you know, those all those guys who were the product of the Depression, who found some kind of success in the in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, held on to that success with a, with a grip that was rich and profound. Um, and they're just, they were incapable of, of, of sharing that, that with anyone else to the detriment of the material, I think. Do you, that, that the industry as a whole, I mean, this is the thing is that there's the top part of the industry, which is the shiny superhero comics that you see in the movies and everything. And then there's this underlying, you know, it's kids who came from poverty. It's kids who never thought that the art was worth a damn, but they were doing it because they had nothing else to do. Do you think that stuff is is endemic to the comics industry? Because I, I tend to think it is. It, the comics have a, has a low self esteem problem, you know. Mm -hmm. At least, you Justifi know. but justifiably so. You know, I mean, I live in a small town. Uh, very few people have any idea what I do for a living. <laughs> uh, I'm serious. I mean, no, I, 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 I know. Here. I know. I, I did a website about yeah. comics for eight years, and people were like, "What do you do?" And I'd tell them, and they'd walk away. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like they 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 can't they can't parse out the. I mean, even when they, when I mention that I write and draw comic books, mm -hmm. the first thing they think of is peanuts. You know that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, I, I married to a woman who's never read a comic book in her life. You know, so uh, I'm, I'm I know. Again, I know. I'm, I'm. That's a relating. I know. You know, and um, and I and I'm good with that because I it it gives me a a private darkness in mm -hmm. which to function, and the. When I go to a comic book convention, as I frequently do, and you know, I, I, I engage with, with enthusiasts because it's my responsibility as a guest at the convention to engage with enthusiasts. And I try not to be condescending, but it's my nature. Um, I am by nature disdainful. And um, you know, someone described it as contempt, contemptuous. It's not really contempt. It's more dis it's, it's, it's condescending disdain. Um, but but we remain sharing in a love for the material. Just the love is, it, it finds itself in different places. And I don't know where the talent pool for the material is being derived from now. I mean, Image was such a, a, a weird, just an absolutely batshit re readjustment of where, where the talent pool came from. And of course, Image today has nothing to do with what Image was in the 90s. Image in the 90s, was a, a vanity press mm -hmm. for pastiches. And now, of course, it's an IP factory for other things. Um, 
but you know, I, I'm very proud of the work that I've done and the work that I do, recognizing the fact that it's being the best thing and be, being the top man in comics is comparably the world's tallest midget. It's just not that big a deal. And when, when people do find out what I do, they make the reasonable assumption that there's money trickling down from the movies. <laughs> and as we both know, the only real genius working in comics today is Kevin Feige who's been able to monetize to the tune of billions material based on original material, which 99.99.99% of the people spending those billions have no idea exists. And that they do know they don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, the, the fact that, that the current rash of superhero movies, the past couple of, you know, like, uh, Indiana, whatever, and the and flash and garlic and the guardian stuff has sort of not so much tanked, but had been very numbed out at the box office has less to do with the material. And I don't think, I don't, I don't believe there is an audience fatigue. I think the audience that exists for material these days has become accustomed to watching movies on their, on their, on their phones. And they just don't give a shit about being in a theater among people because they, they don't feel the need to become part of a social enterprise. Uh, Cause movie going is a social enterprise and more and more people of all generations behave in the movies as if they're sitting in their fucking living rooms. So why just elim- why not eliminate the, the trip and just stay home? Um, you know, my, my daughter has been trying to get me to put all my discs on, on an MP4 player. And I'm, no, I like discs. <laughs> I like the sound quality I get from actually playing through a speaker, you know, and I, I'm not interested in going through all that process. I'm old school in that sense. Um, but I think that I'm, I'm amazed that the publishing wings of Marvel and DC still exist because just as there's no more real need for making new Bugs Bunny cartoons or more Mickey Mouse cartoons on any regular basis, I think they've got all the material they'll ever need of, of Marvel and DC superheroes that, that the actual comics don't really contribute in, in any way dramatically to the ancillary product that is the market, that is, that is a real value part of the show. Um, and it, it, it astonishes me that they still exist. The fact that Marvel is still in New York City surprises the fuck out of me as well. That they haven't literally bitten it out and spit it out into Santa Monica where it belongs. Do you, do you feel like comics is, is your part of like comics as a, as, as a family and they're just your sort of extended family and you're not in touch with many of them, but it's still, you're in, you're part of that. Like you're that culture. You're at the shows. In a way, I mean, I my when I when I do conventions, um, I'm always astonished at guys who do conventions and take commissions and spend their nights drawing in their hotel rooms. Um, there are all these guys peppering the floors of comic book conventions now who draw who aren't really comic book artists but draw like comic book artists. They can't do comics, but they can draw superhero individual images, and they consider themselves comic book artists, but they're really not. And and I know all these these colleagues of mine who who give up, a, to dismiss the idea of a, of a career in print and make their living producing commissions of the work that, that they, they become famous for. Okay, it's just not my world way of thinking. When I go to a convention, I am engaged in toto from the minute I sat down at my table to the minute the bell goes off and the day is over. Once that day is over, I'm out. And I'm spending time in the company of colleagues with the intention of, of sharing shit talk and shop talk, both. Um, I just don't have any interest whatsoever in, in, in continuing the day's experience into night. Um, when I do a show like Baltimore, for example, every night is a, a dinner booking. And it's just basically 
shop talk and shit talk. Who's not there, we can talk about talk shit about them. Who's there, we can talk shop. And um, that maybe maybe that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I, I have. I mean, I'm, I, I'm still in touch with people I've known for 50 some odd years. And I've got a slew of people who are considerably younger than me with the well, Aubrey, for example, is one of the honorary nephews. Um, I've got nieces and nephews in there anywhere from the age of their mid twenties to their late forties, early fifties, who, who respect and honor me for what I do. And as Cully Hammer said, my memorial is going to be a huge laugh. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, I'm expecting lots of comedy. I, was, I wish I, I'd been there. I was going to ask, uh, a long time ago, well, probably like ten years or whatever, I was I was talking to Ryan Stegman, and he said, "Oh, we're we're gonna go, uh, we're gonna talk with with Howard Chaikin. and the idea was that you were mentoring and tutoring folks through Marvel, and I thought that's really yeah, interesting. I did six years worth of, of a twice a year, six or eight years of of, of seminars and, and and workshops at Marvel with uh with talent they would bring in for this particular event. And um, the first day usually consisted of me doing it or I could to beat the hobbyism out of them to make them understand that once they had accepted a check from someone, they were no longer uh, uh, doing putting money one over on the man. They were the man. <laughs> and then the next day would be to literally explain the idea, the basic principles of the vocabulary of the page. Um, and some of it took and a lot of it didn't. And, and ultimately, we realized halfway through it that the real problem was not the artist, but the writer. And it took us a while. It took me a while to figure out why they, they never really push forward the idea of speaking to writers. And the reason is that that writers and comics are transient. They tend to use comics as a means to move on to another medium, whereas artists are stuck uh, because they, they, they've been instructed and inoculated in drawing in a way that, that is, is trope-based and is, 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 is as specific to comics as, as masks and gestures are to kabuki. And there really is nowhere for them to go. So comics, are, comics artists are stuck, but comics writers are plastic and they're transient. And um, then the the real reason why comics writers became the alpha after after the '90s yeah. was they felt that writers wouldn't do do to them what the what the image artists did to them in the '90s, which was that they fucked them up but good. And um, they, they they trust writers more than they trust artists because they can do what they can do, mm-hmm. right? Artists are regarded as as idiot savants who have skills that scare them. You'll always describe it as a as being a wolf approaching the fireplace, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think we can probably wrap up pretty soon, but I could keep going forever. This is, this is, uh, super entertaining. entertaining and fun. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You'd, you'd brought okay. up, you'd brought up Stan and, and I, I, I agree with you. I, it, it's, it's a fascinating thing because he's incredibly charming in person, but all of it seems to be hot air after the fact you were around, you were a kid, you were reading, you know, when Fantastic Four comes out onto the scene. Ooh, I loved it so much. Did you? Oh, no. I, oh. I, I'm not being ironic. I mean, I, when I saw, <laughs> I mean, it killed me. I mean, I, I fucking loved it. That first issue when they introduced the Black Panther, I remember buying that at a candy store in Staten Island, like, holy shit. Wyatt Wingfoot, Wakanda, all this bullshit. It's like, holy fuck, I loved it. I mean, you were exactly the right age. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Like, that's the turning point of everything, and you were right there. New York City. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So what do you what's your what's your take on like what do you think about Jack Kirby? You've mentioned a lot of people. You haven't mentioned Jack as a thing. I don't know if you you ever met him or you know where you consider him in the pantheon. I only I've only met Stan three times, and he never remembered me from one time to the next because that's he's normal so for everybody apparently. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he for me I was the light in his refrigerator, and uh, I never met Jack. Hmm. Uh, everybody I know who didn't know Jack was going to the funeral, and I said I'm not going to go to the funeral of someone I don't know. It's just you know, <laughs> and I'm really grateful I didn't because I heard that Frank made this really. Christy eulogy form and piss Raza off enormously. Um, but I, I mean, I, I was, I was a huge fan of Jack Kirby, not knowing who he was when I was a little kid, because I loved the double life of private strong. Uh, it was just an absolutely wacky book. And I love the fly with the wide angle scream before I even identified talent. I love this stuff. And, you know, when, when and I, 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 it only is like, Oh, it's that guy, uh-huh. that guy. Okay. <clears throat> and um, and I love, you know, Fighting American and Speed Boy and all that stuff. Stunt man. I look over there. The only Jack Kirby book I have in the house is, uh, is Boy's Ranch. I love that work so much. I truly do. Um, but, you know, the, the work just was usually – and I love the Ditko stuff. I stopped reading Spider-Man when Ditko left <laughs> because it's canon work. In the same way that those six issues of Hawkman that, uh, that, that Cuba drew for Brave and Bold are canon. No one else who drew the character is, is even, you know, it's like a, it's like, it's like a false prophet. It is what it is. And me, Superman is drawn by Jack Burnley and Batman is drawn by Dick Sprang. Um, and the, these are, th- this is the inculcation of that golden age of comics being 12. Yeah. And, you know, um, but I, I love the work enormously. I could never have competed with it. It was, I recognized the fact that I didn't have the sen- the skill set or sensibility. You know, I love the challenges of the unknown. You know, I love all that stuff. Um, but I also, my, my understanding is that, that, that Jack was, you know, one of the angriest men who ever walked. Um, and that I remember reading that issue of the, the, of, of New York magazine when it was still the Rotogravure section of the Herald Tribune, that article about, that, about Stan and Jack that described Jack as looking like a, like a, like a, a, you know, a lingerie, a, a, a lingerie salesman. And I, and I, even then I understood that, that was going to hurt somebody's feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I don't really care in the long run about who did what to whom, but it's clear to me as, as, as plain as day yes. that, that Jack, that, that Stan was, is why we're here, that he was able to sell the world on this belief, but that it wasn't enough for him, that he needed to be identified as a creative, a creative force. And the fact that the work that he demonstrated after the fact is, is of such mingy chicken shit that is ignored entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, by an audience that is unwilling to give up its love of this ungrateful windbag. Um, and, you know, it's like Don McNeil's Breakfast Club when he said, not realizing he had a hot mic, that'll keep the little fuckers busy for the next week. Um, and yet they, they, they continue to love him. <laughs> and, you know, and, I, and, and, I, and again, I, I have no, no, no truck in this. You know, I, I mean, ironically, when the first issue, when the first Nine Pay Kids came out, um, I was taken to task for being unkind to Stan the week he died, as if I could control the environment in this way. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it demonstrated the uh, the more insipid nature of the audience, you know, I, I, with all the... Right, well, I, I think know. of, you know, and I think of this as I'm reading Hey Kids Comics, you know, and is, are, is this their last volume? Like, are you at the end of it or are you... I'm, I'm, I'm right now, we're we're wrapping up. Five is in, is, is wrapped up now. I'm, I'm, I'm just about to start doing Pencil on Six. Yeah. 
I'm gonna be I'm gonna be bummed. I think when that last we thought the last volume, then this, you had a new volume, and I thought, oh, there's more of this because you know it's it's fascinating. Well, I, 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 felt, I felt I had to cover three issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 again, if I were to do a fourth, it would be about the real origins. You know, those 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 crooked those crooked little Jews. You know, <laughs> um, who, taking taking advantage of other not quite so crooked Jews. Um, but I mean, the, the problem, of course, is so many people are still alive or their family is still alive. I don't want to, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's even Sondheim impulse of only speaking yellow of the dead because they can't defend themselves and you can't hurt their feelings is really good, except for the fact when their daughters and children are running around, and, and sons are running around. Um, I mean, there are people who I would have really have liked to to, <laughs> to to crucify, but I couldn't because I, you know, I don't, I don't want to. I mean, I'm surprised that I haven't gotten the shit kicked out of me already. It's still but, too yeah. soon. Are there any yeah, golden no, age no. stories that you couldn't fit in? That are great. Well, that's a, there's no 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 video. Uh, I'm gonna let no, you go in a minute. <laughs> no, no, it's not, not real. Well, of course there are, but you know, but it, it's actually there's there's all sorts of shit. You know? Yeah, uh, it's, it's endless. Just, I mean, I I really I could do could have done an entire issue on the on on the breaking of the attempt at a collect at collective bargaining in the early fifties, but again, people's feelings would be hurt. You mm-hmm. know, um, I mean, one of the reasons why there are so many characters in Hey Kids that are conflations as opposed to a specific avatar constructs um, is to combine backstory of one character with the front story of another to create a new character to, to diffuse and deflect from, from shit talk. Mm-hmm. You know? Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful both for your, for your patience and your forbearance for my issues. And not I thank a, you very not much. Not even close to a problem. I may right. be, but gratitude never hurt. Thanks man. I'm most grateful. And there you have it. Uh, that was a, that was a big deal show for me. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I could have kept going forever. Uh, the man has a lot of stories, a lot of opinions, and uh, all of it is valuable. Fifty plus years of making comics—that's that's that's not nothing. You can check out the comics he's still making. Please go read Hey Kids Comics. Uh, it's available in trades and in issues. I've got a new book out, Sunshine Patriots. You know, go backwards, find American flag, find black kiss. Uh, don't give them to your children, but but check them out. You can find us at ifanboy.com where you find other podcasts and interviews we've done. Thanks to the iFanboy patrons for making this show possible on a continual basis. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back with another one at some point. Thanks.